Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's Money-M-O-R-P-H-O-S-I-S.com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Hello, everyone. It is Crystal Arnold, your hostess. So pleased to join you today. You may have noticed we are in a time of great transformation not only in this country, in America, um, but globally as well. And I believe that at the heart of this transformation is a deep questioning of what is most valuable and how we connect with one another in meaningful ways to effectively steward our resources. And I'm connected with people around the world who are reclaiming our power as myth makers and storytellers and creating a new story of money, of true wealth, and of accessing our human potential in a way that we never have before. And many people are coming together in ways to have community conversations about tender subjects like money in order to dissolve the shame and the fear and the guilt that keeps us from speaking about our personal value and about the design of money and exchange systems in our country. And I like to say we are welcoming a more sacred economy that really honors the value of our connection as humans and our responsibility to steward our natural resources. And I am so honored today to have one of the pioneers in, um, in this um, arena around your relationship with money and value. Vicki Robin is a prolific social innovator writer and speaker, and so pleased to have her here today. She is co-author with Joe Dominguez of the international bestseller, Your Money or Your Life, Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Achieving Financial Independence. And her recent book is Blessing the Hands That Feed Us, Lessons from a 10-Mile Diet. She has been called by the New York Times a prophet of consumption downsizers. And Vicki has lectured widely and appeared on hundreds of radio TV shows, including Oprah Winfrey, Good Morning America, and over 100 magazines. People are hungry for the wisdom that Vicki Robin brings forth. And um, she has launched many sustainability initiatives, including the New Roadmap Foundation, the Simplicity Forum, Sustainable Seattle, Conversation Cafes, Transition Would Be, 
and the 10-Day Local Food Challenge and the Local Food Design Lab. She is truly a, um, a, a genius, and I am so pleased to have her on today. Um, welcome, Vicki. I would love to start by just um, hearing from you in the many years' experience that you have. Could you explain to us um, why understanding money and our relationship to it individually and collectively is so powerful and important right now? Well, first of all, hi, thank you. Um, second of all, I don't think I qualify for genius technically. Um, but uh, I will accept the moniker. <clears throat> and um, on money and why it's important to understand it in these times and other times is that money is a human invention designed to basically to facilitate trade Um and it's been an incredibly powerful tool. It's like, it's like fire. It's like a tool like fire that we harnessed this a capacity to account for exchanges. And, and, and it requires a sort of a, an abstraction of an exchange. You know, the old example is it's not a, you know, a pig for a cow, but it's an abstraction that allows you to trade a pig for money so that you can get grain for your fields. And so basically it abstracts our relationship with the material world out of like sort of core reality and into um, a shared concept. Money itself has no real value. It only has the value that we give to it. It has, it only has value as long as people believe in it. And believe that it has value. And there's plenty of uh, countries and places in history, times in history, when when the currency um, that was used lost all value. I mean, there's places in the world where there's a thousand percent inflation. And so the, the money you have doesn't buy you the things it used to buy you. So just it's wonderful, first of all, to understand it's an abstraction that we have given our hearts and souls to because it seems like everything we do in modern life, at least out in the marketplace, involves some exchange of money. And so it, it has it has led us to believe that um, we don't just have needs like needs for love and affection or food or you know, we, we, we take our needs and we translate them into how much money do I need to fill my need. So money mediates everything, and consequently, we get increasingly disempowered in our capacity to be a basic living human being on this planet, being able to meet our own needs through our competencies, through our social relations, through our families, through, um, yeah, our capacity of, for critical thinking. There's so many ways in which we can meet our needs that outside of money. So when people are completely wedded and bonded with this abstraction and the other side of it is, is that the way money in our society is brought into being has nothing to do with our government. Our government doesn't, they print the money, but who actually creates money, who has the authorization 
to actually put money into the system, like, is when you go to a bank and you take out a loan. And this is something that, unfortunately, it's abstract, but people need to understand it. It's called a fractional reserve. It means that it's not like you go to the bank is opening the vault and giving you $10,000 when you take a $10,000 loan. They only have to have $1,000 in their vault <laughs> on their books to be able to give you a $10,000 loan. So they make money up when they give you a loan. So money is a debt instrument. It's an IOU. So then you have this $10,000 loan and you have to increase the economy by that amount of money plus the interest. So money itself is a driver of the growth economy, which at this point with the human population is 7.5 billion people on this planet. And, uh, you know, I don't have to do the whole narrative about some of the um, diminishment of our basic natural capacity to live with this population, all the species extinction, et cetera. So here you are and you have your $10,000 loan and you have to make that money. You have to expand the economy. You have to drive the whole machinery faster so you can pay back your loan to the bank. So, we are in sort of like a, cul- a, a, a cul-de-sac here, or, you know, sort of a dead end around having wedded our lives to a system that requires precisely the kind of growth that we have to get off of now uh, in order to deal with climate change and um, feeding our whole population and really fulfilling on the promise of what human beings can do. So we're addicted to something that makes us less able to manage our lives, that is often, um, it's often like hard to, hard to extract it from the system. So you go and you get a loan, which actually drives exactly what you don't want to have happening. Mm-hmm. It's not evil. It's just, it's a tool. It's sort of like television, you know, as a tool, you know, we thought it was going to educate the population and it ended up dumbing us down. You know, money is like that. It dumbs us down. Um, and so I love helping people see through this and understand themselves as empowered and competent and loving human beings in relationship with other human beings and that we can form cooperative, collaborative relationships and we can, we can actually develop ourselves as um, resilient human beings. And in this way, you know, we'll we'll still be in the money economy, but it's less dominant and we can start to heal ourselves and heal the world. That was a very long lecture. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I, and what I so appreciate about your, um, the work that you've done over these last decades is that um, you have catalyzed both personal transformation for people with their personal finances and individual emotions and thoughts around money. But then you've also um, looked at the systemic level and done things like the would-be island local lending and, um, and the different um, programs to look at the systemic level of how we come together. And um, I love how um, the power of sharing authentically and vulnerably 
about money, as, as we've both seen, just opens this doorway of transformation for people and, um, like you said, creates resilient uh, communities that are able to respond more intelligently to changing circumstances. And um, I, I'd love to hear more about the conversation labs and why you think uh, group experiences and conversations are so important to building our both our financial intelligence and our resilience. Mm. Yeah, uh, thank you. And I think, I, you know, you could probably answer that question as well as I can because we're both on the same track on this. Uh, I, I think that um, our relationship with money, we because we don't have these, we don't have easygoing conversations with our friends about money because there's so much shame. I mean, this is like, you know, money is power, money is status, you know, your things are how other people judge you. And, you know, in a certain way, we're primates. And, and, and so rank order makes a difference in how possible it is for us to survive. So, so we still are carrying over this primate ranking system and we really need to get up to the top of the rank in order to be able to get the best mates and the most food, et cetera. So, so we have this, this status thing built into us. Um, even meditators, you know, even conscious people. And it's very hard for people to reveal their confusions and their doubts um, and their stupid choices because the fear is that I will be one down. Um, so we self-censor, we shame ourselves, we lie, we put on airs, etc., cetera, uh, in order to maintain a certain standing in our community. We don't want to look like idiots. So, um, and yet, um, and then we turn, then we become vulnerable to, because we're like, we're isolated from our team. We become vulnerable to all sorts of people who will charge us money in order for us to like, you know, invest in this or, you know, like it's, it's the classic advertising, you know, you're dope, but you'll get, you know, you know, buy my product and you will be, um, you know, you will attract the opposite sex and, and have wealth and have a bigger house. You know, it's like, it's a crazy story that, that we're fed like thousands of times a day and, and it's hard to not have it run you. So basically um, lateral connection, you know, connecting with other people like you around things that are, that the dominant money system is trying to control is transformational just to sit in a circle. And I just, I had hosted some circles here on Whippy Island and, and, uh, you know, people came in like so ashamed. It was like, I'm, I lost all my money and I was dumb, you know, like, and right. Okay, fine. Next person. <laughs> it, was, it was, um, it wasn't being dismissive. It was just the, the ability to say it in a circle where people are not judging you or trying to fix you but simply allowing you to be who you are, somebody who had a lot of wealth and lost it. Okay, next person, next person. I am trying to live on social security and in this community with a lot of wealthy people, I can't make ends meet. Got it, next person. 
And boy, in these circles, when they, you know, you meet like week in, week out, people start, go from shame, embarrassment, stuckness to funny stories about, you know, or moving stories about times when people, you know, didn't have any money and yet they made something of their lives. They, they moved to storytelling and they moved to problem solving and they moved to sort of a clinic, you know, like, okay, here's my problem. Let's spend five minutes. Everybody give me your solutions. I may not pay attention to any of them, but, you know, let's do it. And so we become a community um, of real humans committed to one another's well-being. And so it's the end of loneliness. I mean, I think that one of the strategies of of sort of the whole American meme of individualism, it is a it's a perfect meme to make us into lonely, fearful consumers who need everything in our own houses because we're afraid to ask other people or reveal ourselves. And so that's what I love. I love breaking down those walls of fear and shame and embarrassment and disempowerment and that process of discovering that we're all in the same boat, you know, we're all in the same boat, you know, no matter how much money we have. We used to do in, in, um, when we would do the live seminars with Joe uh, Dominguez, um, we would give people a worksheet and on the worksheet, it would be, they would have five categories, you know, for income. You know, what is your income? It's over, under $1,000 a month, you know, one to two, two to four, whatever it was. You know, it was a different scale at a different time because now people, now we need more money somehow. But anyway, on that scale. And then someplace else we asked on there, how much money would it take to make you happy? And in general, people said about 50% more. But what we found, and then then also we had another scale, how happy are you? What we found was the average, you know, it was like just really close. Everybody's scale of one to five, they were all about just under three. They were kind of happy, not really happy. Um, Everybody. (laughs) And so you're sitting there and you think everybody is the same level of happiness. There are people in this room, you know, five times or ten times the income I have. They are no happier than I am. I think I would be happy with 50% more, but I'm sitting next to people who are ha- who have 50% more and they're not happy. So it's like, what's the game? <laughs> you know, so it's, that's why we're focused um, in our work on this question of how much is enough and being able to extract ourselves from the logical primate self-comparison to find out whether you have enough and develop what we call an internal yardstick for fulfillment. So you start to be able to say, determine whether something that you think you're, you're going to purchase or have purchased is actually going to increase your level of fulfillment, or is it just a belief you have based on a comparison with other people? And once you can develop, you know, it takes a while to develop that internal yardstick for fulfillment, People's expenses drop like a rock, and they don't feel ashamed. They feel proud, and it's that's the transformational core um, that that's really exciting to me about the work. I'll give you a bit hmm. of space to ask some. Wow! So is that what you call the enough point in your work? Exactly, exactly, and and it's really 
I'm sure you know this in your own work. It's like enough point, uh, like the idea of the enough point. It's actually your living being in time. And so basically being able to observe for all flows of energy, whether it's food or money or exercise, anything that's a flow of energy that goes through your life, that you are being able to observe over time, moment by moment, is this, is this too little? Is this just right? Is this too much? For me to have a feeling of satisfaction, of fulfillment, of being filled, but not overfilled. And we, we, we have something called the fulfillment curve where, you know, you just take a look at the process of acquisition in your life, whether it's in a day or over a lifetime, or whether it's culturally a culture. And there's some things that you acquire that are absolutely necessary for your survival. You know, just basics. And then there's some things that you acquire that actually potentiate you in order to be able to give your gifts in the world. You know, getting an education, you know, is could be one of them or, or developing skills or, um, having the right clothes for the right occasion or whatever those things are, you know, that are, that, that contribute to you in, in your full self-expression. And then there's a bunch of stuff that you might consume in your life. that could be, you know, treats, luxuries, you know, completely not necessary, you know, for anything, but they make you feel great and they're totally worth what you invest in them. And so that's all part of your enough. And then there's like, you know, when you have, you reach a point, though, where you have that amount, but you're habituated to getting happiness by buying things because that's what you've done before. Let's go back on Amazon Prime and get something else or eBay or down to the store or Macy's or whatever, you know. <laughs> it's just like you think I'm going to have that happy little feeling again of acquisition because acquisition has proved itself as working. So you shoot past this experience of satisfaction to being overfull and, and uncomfortable. You have too much in your life. But, you, but sometimes people will try to correct for that feeling of dissatisfaction ra- rather than dialing it back, giving away a bunch of their clothes or doing less or quitting one of their jobs. They dial forward and they try to repeat the experience of happiness by getting more stuff. And so that's what we call like the too much part of that curve. And everything that you engage in what's beyond your point of satisfaction is basically clutter. It's just stuff that clogs up your existence. So it's not that less is more. <laughs> it's not that more is more. Um, it's that enough is enough. And you really have to pay attention to the match between your insides and your outsides. And how is that working for you? You know, for some people, you know, people try to make rules like don't drink coffee or drink coffee or only have two coffees or like don't have coffee after four o'clock. You know, it's like those are just somebody else's good ideas, you know. (laughs) But so you just observe for yourself what works. Yeah. As you were speaking. Right. I realized how much of us are living with this manufactured story and someone else's definition of success. 
and how much suffering that that unrealistic expectation from society, um, especially for the youth. I'm 35 years old, and so um, I'm really tapped into the the gosh the in, incredible suffering that's um felt in the younger generations um with greater debt greater money stress you know not the the future that the um many baby boomers think is is possible um and so as we rescript this manufactured story uh we are able to come into a more empowered creation point in our own life where we can find that inner and outer congruence uh, with our actions and really act from that place of um, satisfaction and generosity. And I, I think to acknowledge the incredible suffering in this country, in the world, in the youth um, is uh, very significant. And it actually allows us in, in the group work that we've both offered for people um, to really find our humanness and to, like you said, end the loneliness and develop empathy and understanding the perspective of other people and develop compassion for ourselves and, um, and know that we're doing the best we can and compassion for others in their struggles because ultimately I find, um, I, I see that the source of value is connection, connection mm. with ourselves, our spirit, our breath, our body, and then connection with others, our families, our, the world and the earth itself. And so I, I just am so thrilled to hear your perspective on why this is so significant at this time. Mm. Mm. Boy, that was really well said. I just have to say, and I think this, the power of connection of connecting things that have been separated is, is really the source of wisdom and transformation because the consumer culture thrives on disconnection. Um, if you can be convinced that you need to buy something in order to be happy, that you're basically replacing the connection with your own inner self, your connection with your power to, to actually do things for yourself, your connection with other people. If you feel disconnected and the only way you can can make that connection, you think, is by buying something, is participating in the consumer culture like everybody else, becoming part of the crowd through what you buy rather than, and which is like what, you know, young people, you know, teenagers do like crazy, you know, they build their identities through consumption because there, there aren't other ways that are um, culturally sanctioned to build their identities. So, so basically, we put money and stuff in all of those places where the natural thing is to call a friend or, you know, take a walk or take a nap or, um, you know, make a birthday card for a friend, you know, yourself with your own message. You know, it's like the natural thing to do is to express yourself and to connect with others. And if you need something from the 
money economy, of course. You know, you go get it. And if you need money in order to get it, you of course you get it. You go and find the money. Um, but the, the 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 core is not who you are as an earner and spender. It's just who you are as a connector. <laughs> and your wealth is your networks and your ability to forgive and forget. I just like just yesterday I had something where I I called somebody out on a behavior as sweetly as I could, but you know, she took offense. And so there was a rupture and that rupture um, was having consequence in her willingness to participate in things and stuff like that. And, and that was important to me. And I just flat out apologized for my inept communication and asked for a reset. And she was so happy that she's back in, in spades. You know, and mm. because I recognize that the connection is more important. And it's not just my connection with this one person. It's our shared connection with the life of our community and our shared passion for making things better. And, like, part of community organizing really is connecting people up in community and, you know, giving, making sure there's a there's ways for people to have a voice and take responsibility at the level that they can and participate and develop their own leadership. And the more you can do that, the more vibrant a community is and the more vibrant your community, the more wealth comes back to you because you're part of something that's whole and giving. So um, I really, I concur on, on connection as being a transformational strategy, if you will, but a transformational is like a key to the transformation. It's, we talk about um, the key is from me to we, you know, I'll give you another Mm -hmm. example here (laughs) just from my own life. I, um, and it's a, it's a long shaggy dog story and I won't have to do, I'm not going to do the whole thing, but um, I, got a little money in from something and I was thinking, where do I store it? You know, do I store it in the bank? Do I store it in, you know, a local community investment? Do I, you know, store it in, you know, where do, where does that money go? Because, you know, as I save it, you know, saving money is a, how do you save money? I mean, number one, you can accumulate saving money. That's good. But, but there's also a, where do you place your money that you've, you've accumulated so that it, produces well-being over the long haul. So anyway, I was thinking about that question and I pass a used car dealership and there is the motorhome that I always wanted. It's a Sun Raider, which it was an old one, um, but it's a particular kind of motorhome that's very, very special. I mean, it's almost like a cult motorhome. And so Da, da 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 I test it out and I, you know, I dicker and I like walk around looking, scowling and saying, well, what about this and what about that? And, you know, so I do the whole thing, but I'm, I've got it down to a price that seems right to me. And I go home and I think about it and I think, uh, really, really, is this just going to be one more white elephant that sits in your driveway? Um, mm-hmm. Then I thought, when I was thinking about just me, I thought, God, that could just be, you know, you must, you're just buying a problem, you know, just like, and I realized 71 years old and that thing to me meant going out in the country with my friends and having a little turtle home on our backs. That meant mm. pleasure, fun, 
and um, and a whole bunch of other happy associations. And it also, I when I realized that that thing that I would own could bring pleasure and value to my community, I even thought I'll give it to the next person who's going out the Standing Rock. <laughs> You know, when I thought about it as not just an asset for Vicky, but an asset for my community, it was a no brainer. It was just a no brainer to, um, to indulge myself while thinking about how can I bring happiness to the people around me? How can this create benefit? I could think, you know, I have a friend who goes to festivals in the summer. I could have her take it to the festivals. It's, but it's like that's just an example of that me-to-we thinking that allows you to discern what's part of your enough, you know, and mm. what's just an indulgence that's actually going to weigh you down. I, I, the, the proof will be in the pudding on this one because if my friends take it out, if we go out together, then, then it's, it's useful. So, but anyway, I just love that. Yeah, that's a really good um, shift in perspective. And, um, you know, and I've seen more and more that we are naturally, um, maybe it's because I'm working with the youngers or women, um, that people are naturally wanting to uplift one another to have this um, cooperative way that we do business. And it's just a very different way of coming together and acknowledging our our, uh, unified field and how we can all both give and receive in this sacred exchange um, with one another. And we're going to take um, a short, uh, just a minute break here. And then when we come back, I'd love to explore some more about the significance of um, Standing Rock and what's happening there. Do you get choked up and flushed talking about money? Don't let fear and shame stop you from sharing your value. Speak up, sister. Find out how to boost your financial communication skills at www.findyourmoneyvoice.com. Perhaps you're like Gwen, a budding creative entrepreneur who wants to provide for her family, but she has a tough time expressing her needs. She chronically undercharges and lays awake at night with money stress. With Crystal's Find Your Money Voice training, she found renewed confidence speaking her self-worth. Transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. With greater clarity and focus, Gwen more confidently negotiated solid agreements and increased her business earnings with the trainings found at Find Your Money Voice. We are back with our guest, Vicki Robin, and um, I'm sure most of you know what's been unfolding at Standing Rock. It's been very captivating as these water protectors come together to stop the Dakota Access Pipeline from going underneath uh, the waterways and endangering their water. And it's brought hundreds of tribes and people from all different walks of life uh, together in this unified um, way of protecting what is most valuable for the generations to come. And this is incredibly significant because 
it has been um, on the part of the protester or protectors. They have been nonviolent, even in the face of great police brutality and injustice. And um, they, the the elders and the guides there, the natives, um, have remained that this is a prayerful ceremony, and that has allowed them to materialize great support. And this, I, I get so inspired because I see Standing Rock as an example of the gift economy, where so many people around this country and around the world have donated money, supplies, have gone there with their physical bodies to support. And in this last week, we've seen thousands of our, uh, veterans come forth to serve and protect these water protectors. And it's so inspiring as well because of the forgiveness that happened this week. The way that the the um, our, the um, the soldiers and people were able to um, appeal for forgiveness from the tribal leaders and for all the generations of pain and suffering um, which has been caused and. Um, you know, really people are unifying around stewardship of our common resources. And um, and so there's a lot of ways in which this is significant. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on what Standing Rock teaches us about what a life-affirming economy could be. Mm, boy, that was just a beautiful statement on Standing Rock. Um the thing I would add is um, that an eleventh hour. It's been it's been a changing situation pretty much for two weeks now. Um, ever since there was a major confrontation with the militarized police and the water protectors on a bridge, and they used. Um, water cannons, they used rubber bullets, they used concussion grenades, they used uh, weaponized sound. Uh, they have used so many techniques. Um, and the water protectors, by and large, maintained the peaceful, prayerful, nonviolent stance and simply took it. And one young woman had a concussion grenade explode in her arm and she may lose her lower arm. Another woman lost her sight uh, in one eye. Um, so it was, you know, that was a major, it will be, the revolution will be televised moment when the world watched and saw the um, disproportionate use of power on the part of the state to in, in support of the corporation's um, and against people who were nonviolent, had no weapons, and were simply standing up for their their rights. Uh, and since then, there has been this declarations of of um, force by the state, and then the, every every declaration of from the state, you must do this, you must do that. It was amazing to watch the Lokoto Sioux and their allies say, that's your opinion, but it's not what's real. We're here on our land that was never ceded to you, and we're not moving. 
And we're not moving, like, not like na 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 but we're not moving. Um, and so the more pressure came from the state, the stronger they stood. And the more allies showed up, despite the fact that, like, sub-zero weather was, was rolling in across the plains. It's been very dramatic. And finally, on Sunday, the Army Corps of Engineers denied the permit to the, the, um, to the Dakota Access Pipeline to drill underneath um, Lake Oahe, which is on the Missouri River. So that's the moment we're in, and um, and at this very moment is when you said the the um, veterans, uh, over 2,000 strong veterans came, and they had a ceremony with the elders, and they asked for forgiveness, and they named all the things that we as settlers have done to Native peoples as we've taken over the land that the Native people say, this isn't our land. We belong to the land. The land doesn't belong to us. This is who we are, this land. Um, and somehow or another, um, the sort of the colonial mind and the colonial settlers were able to abrogate every treaty and take, 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 take. And so it's like the reversal of the taking predatory mind in, that's happening there with the water protectors, land protectors, protectors of culture, protectors of ancestors who are very alive for the Sioux. You know, we sort of remember our our parents and grandparents, you know, and we maybe, you know, go to their graves with the year, but it's not that way for the Sioux. For the Sioux, the ancestors are alive and they're alive in them. So basically that way, that relationship with the land and one another and creator is 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 like, starting to win. It's amazing. So it's really, it's, in terms of what you've been asking, I just wanted to, to talk about those details. Um, so it is the generosity economy that is starting to show itself and show its viability vis-a-vis the predatory and, and greed-based economy. And it's transforming people. And I have been in myself and in other people what I see it's like we have so much excess so many people have so much excess that we have stored and we never let go and we don't even you know we won't give away it's just all in our little pile and suddenly this other way of being this clear correct way of being in relationship with nature this stand for sovereignty this stand for justice this stand for the water Suddenly that shows up and people are like throwing things. I mean, like campers and uh, they put out a need for snowmobiles and somebody said, I have two, just need a trailer. It's like, yeah, it's like pouring out. I raised money from my, I sent money. I thought I'll, I'll, I went once um, in September, but I just like, I want to go back. I want to go back. And I thought like, look, I'm 71. I have arthritis. <laughs> you know, how am I going to do this? But so I just sent, I sent like a big check bigger than I ever send to um, some people who are working with historic trauma healing for indigenous people worldwide so that they could send some of the people they trained to Standing Rock so that these young Lakota people could have an experience of being part of this. You know, it's like, I just like, 
everybody I know has been, we sent from my island, we sent, I don't know how many hundreds of pounds of cedar and firewood and handwarmers. I mean, just people are walking there and just carrying everything we can possibly send. What is this? What is this, this generosity that has been um, awakened in us? In the presence of something that is like I, my my um, I'm sorry I'm, I'm I'm jumping but my experience of going to Standing Rock was like I feel I was like magnetized I couldn't not go and I I felt like I am a red blood cell that I was finally serving the right heart and I'm joyfully traveling you know the 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 highways of the body to serve. And then I went to Standing Rock and I felt like a spore of whatever is happening there was, was planted in me and it's been growing like a mycelium and my, my self-expression is becoming peaceful, prayerful, spirit-based, you know, grateful, (laughs) surrendering to those with greater wisdom. The whole meme of Standing Rock has now alive in me. Um, and um, and I think I think what I just the narrative I just did you know demonstrates what I see in that which is that it is prayerful it is not making the other wrong it is standing in your truth and it is is surrendered to a greater wisdom and for the Sioux it's the elders and the elder council. But it's also to that thing in you that knows um, that that it isn't like overcoming your greediness. It's like it isn't like like pecking away at your um, lower nature. It's just awakening that 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 thing inside you that's sometimes called the conscience or the still small voice. Just awakening that so that you are attentive to. Where can I serve? Where am I needed? You flow like like a blood cell in the heart of the mother. And and when you start to do that, it becomes quite natural. So it's peaceful. It's surrendered to a higher power. It's prayerful. It's not aggressive. These people are praying for the militarized police. They live there in... North Dakota, they want to maintain relationships with their neighbors in a good way. You know, all of that is part of what's happening. And it's nonviolent. I've watched in the videos when people sort of dysregulate and get really mad and want to charge at the militarized police. There's somebody who just pulls them back off the front lines, you know, not as you're bad, but just knowing like, yeah, so do you just lost it for a minute, buddy, and I love you, and we're going to just do this other thing for a moment. It's just, it's so beautiful. <laughs> and um, and it's also um, direct action, and direct action is basically standing in your right to protect what is, what you believe is, is true, whether it is the Constitution, whether it is love. And so they've been considering the water protectors as violating property rights. But the fact of the matter is, is that they are making a stand that says this land is actually not the Army Corps of Engineers. This is a part of a pattern, a long pattern with the colonialists who came 
that that they they write treaties and then they reinterpret the treaties. It's sort of like I, 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 I don't know if anybody ever read Calvin and Hobbes, but it's like Calvin Ball. You know, Calvin just changes the rules of the game in the middle of the game to suit him. That's what the U.S. the the European settlers have been doing with the indigenous people all along. So. They just said, no, actually, we never ceded this land, so we're actually on our own land, and we're just going to be here. Um, it's infuriating. I mean, it's not like purposely infuriating to the to the to the settler mind, but it is because it's correct. So I think, mm. and the other thing I've loved is is like hooking into this. I have been doing my own you know, like my own privilege work. I've been facing into the history of this continent. I've stopped saying, well, I wasn't here. I didn't do that. <laughs> no, I am, you know, my life rests on this history. And I need to face this history and where my well-being comes from. And it's my pleasure and joy to begin to serve the indigenous people as they come forward as earth protectors to serve them, to follow their lead, and to allow to grow inside me this other way of being. Oh, dear me, I did talk a long time, but that's my response. It's powerful. <laughs> yes. Oh, and, and what I love is how the Youth Council has been so active and, and uh, fundamental in catalyzing this greater movement right. in relation with their elders and that intergenerational exchange, which is so necessary. And and I feel like what's been tapped into at Standing Rock is, is people's desire for belonging and to make yes. a meaningful contribution, right? We all just want to give and feel useful. And the, totally. I feel like they've organized organized a structure there that has helped people find right placement and the way they've organized the medic tents and the trainings for people going to the front lines and anyone. I just, from what I've seen, I feel like it's a really intelligent design and we need more of that, you know, looking at how that applies to complementary currency systems and um, ways in our own communities that we can help people find right placements so that their gifts can be given and received. And um, yeah. so that we can all contribute, right? I think that the, um, yes, and um, I think our minds, you know, our, our Western European settler, whatever you want to call it, uh, minds see that and want to respond. And so we start to create forms that will help people you know, you do it, I do it, we all do it. You know, if you're well-meaning, you're creating these forms. I think what's so beautiful with the Sioux is is basically they're in relationship with the creator. The creator is creating the forms. And so yeah. the pattern is being set by, if you will, natural law or a higher power. The pattern is set by that, and it's staying steady in that that allows the pattern to unfold. Um, and I think we can become so frustrated with the amount of separation in our society that we try to, and I've done this my whole life, try to create patterns that, you know, like are transformational, that worm through the society. And I think that's great. But for me, what I'm excited about is 
All our returning people from Standing Rock have all been infused with this. There is a pattern that they are bringing home that they're soaked in. And I'm hoping that in our community, with all the challenges that we have now on our little island, I'm starting to refer to this as a small island in the Pacific Ocean that's being taken over by the U.S. military, um, (laughs) that, that we can become, in relation to these powers that be, that we can somehow or another become the peaceful, prayerful, nonviolent, direct action, creator-focused, cooperative community that simply asserts that life trumps everything. Because without our water, air, and soil, without our histories, you know, we have the second oldest city in Washington State is, is on Woodby Island. And, you know, without honoring all the things that are our, the source of our being, without, and honoring them collectively, then we may win some fights, but we're not going to win the big thing, which is this infusion of a love-based economy, really. Um, mm. And that's where I, that's I, where my sights are set, you know. And that's really what uh, Standing Rock has done for me. It's given me a different kind of hope. It's not like hope that anything I do or some small group, you know, never doubt that a small group of you know concerned citizens, the old Margaret Mead quote. It's not quite that anymore. It's that there is a natural pattern for human relation among one another and uh, and in the earth and the, our indigenous people are our teachers on this. And it's not that we should get feathers and wear little pouches around our necks. That's not it. It's that we need to be in our lives as we are infused with this different way of being and let it use our hands and legs and mouths and brains. Let that way of being use us to to become denizens of a real place. Mm. Ah. My favorite quote from uh, a Lakota chief uh, who was at that um, forgiveness ceremony, Leonard Crow Dog, he said, we don't own the land. The land owns us. Right. (sighs) And then he said, all he said, I mean, the economy of expression. I mean, I just used 5,000 words to say what a Lakota elder would say in like two sentences. But, you know, he just said world peace. World peace, world peace. That's all he said. And it just rippled. People were in tears. Um, So that's what we're working on. Mm. Yeah, so, man, we're really of one mind here, aren't we? Um, Yes, such a delightful exploration together. In in the closing uh, minutes here, just wanting to tune in and see... um, you know, maybe what message you have for listeners who may be of the younger generations, who may be desiring to bring their gifts forth, and, you know, what what advice um, for them in the shifting economy and transformational times that we're in? Mm. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is a time of great disruption uh, and the stability 
that we enjoyed as boomers and as we came of age and launched our lives in the world is not being afforded to you. But the opportunity is that as things come apart, the basic building blocks of the future become more available. It's not so institutionalized. And so it's a time of incredible creativity if you can grab hold of it. Also, I do believe that, as um, you said, the the signature is that the youth came up with what they wanted to do, and the elders decided to support the youth. And I, as a boomer, commit myself to supporting you in, in, in unfolding your lives with as much relational intelligence, as much um, success at a material level as you need, and uh, community building so that you really, you really are the future. You know, you will be here and I will not. And I want to give you everything I can in order to succeed. Hmm. Thank you. We really do need each other, the generations. We need greater connection uh-huh. and dialogue and understanding ultimately about the challenges and gifts and perspectives that all, all generations um, are bringing at this time. Mm. Yeah, we certainly we certainly do. Um and so it becomes a gift and it becomes exciting uh to be in part of this kind of partnership. Um not as I'm your elder and I know something more, but I've been around longer and I am here in service to you um becoming fully a leader in the world that's coming into being. And that's the most exciting thing to do is to be in support. Um, And, you know, boomers have trouble getting off the center stage. (laughs) It's like, and we need to do that. And we need to do it not because we ought to, but because it's going to be so much more rewarding to support millennials in thriving. Um, That's the, that's the wonderful game to play. I believe. Um, Mm. I was so excited to hear how you're transforming the your money and your life um, to appeal to the millennials and the new situation that we're facing a couple decades later after that was um, first conceived. And um, so we'll put your link to your website, vickirobin.com. And um, any other closing remarks you'd like to share with people? Uh, simply that, yes, we are doing a millennial makeover of your money or your life, and it's very exciting, and it gives you a way to enter into transforming your relationship with money that is um, both very nitty-gritty and uh, a lot about self-knowledge and community. So basically changing the way the game is played, um, it's the same it's the same basic deck of cards, but it's a different way to play them. And I'm really excited about it. And I welcome anybody to be in touch with me if you have stories to tell, both happy and frustrating stories to tell about your millennial experience with money. Mm. Oh, well, I so honor you, as I said, as a pioneer in this field, as a woman who saw the challenges and opportunities of looking at our relationship with money before many people had and just appreciate your wise perspective and the very um, 
useful and practical free tools that people can find on your website. You could really um, have hours of self-exploration with some of these questions and conversation starters. And I am just um, so grateful that so many of us um, are able to be in service in this way of creating greater connection and um, meaning and value to our lives so that we can responsibly steward um, our resources for the next seven generations. And truly, hmm, may we all... May we all take a stand for what is most valuable to us. May we all connect and be authentic and vulnerable and express ourselves and truly, um, yes, come together to create a more beautiful world and a life-affirming economy. Thank you so much, Vicki. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a conversation. Mm, Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.